Amen. It is so good to be with you again. Um, I just want to share this one little information Jim did not share with you. Uh, I always have a rag with me whenever I preach. <laughs> so I sweat a lot when I preach, and I, I constantly need to wipe my face whenever I preach. So please do not allow this to be a distraction to you. Um, I am excited to be with you this morning as we will be diving into the book of Psalm together, Psalm 19. As Jared read the text, as you could tell, it's a very powerful psalm. So I pray your hearts are ready to encounter God. Your, your hearts are ready to look at Scripture and not my opinion, but to see what Scripture is saying. We want to, to, to hear, thus says the Lord. We want God to speak to us this morning. The title of today's sermon is, How We Know About God how we know about God. The psalm, they help us to identify with the psalmist different emotions, right? We, we go to the psalms and we see all types of emotional tones, such as terror, depression, loneliness, confidence, peace, amazement, humility, joy, thanksgiving, and anger. We can say with the psalmist, we identify with you. We feel that way. This is why I love the book of Psalms. We can just open the book of Psalms and we can see so much. You know, I, I call the book of Psalms this, this medicine cabinet, right? If you have a medicine cabinet, you know you have all the medicines that you need and you open that medicine cabinet and you go and you take what you need to help you, to heal you. The book of Psalms is like this medicine cabinet that we can go to and if we're struggling with anger, we can go and look at what does the Bible say about anger? What does the Bible say about depression? What does the Bible say about different emotional tones? This book of Psalms is so amazing. Almost two-thirds of the Psalms are quoted in 23 of the 27 New Testament books. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So much so, I need you to get this. Coming closer, coming closer, and if you can write this down, please go ahead and write this down. No other book in the Bible is so interwoven into the fabric of the whole Scripture. This is a powerful book. All the books in the Bible is powerful, but the book of Psalms is so amazing, right? Uh, Messianic Psalms, it talks a lot about the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 talks about Jesus, how he will be crucified. So much so that Martin Luther, the great reformer, loved the book of Psalms. Yes, it was the book of Romans that God used mightily to transform the heart of Martin Luther. But it was the book of Psalms that really set his soul on fire. So much so that Martin Luther calls the book of Psalms the miniature Bible. So this morning, I want us to observe Psalm 19. It contains a profound and moving statement of the doctrine of divine revelation. And like the Bible elsewhere, we see the subject, right? We, the, the two main subjects we see is general revelation, as we see in verses 1 through 6, and then we see special or specific revelation as we see in verses 7 through 14. C.S. Lewis, Lewis stated, coming closer, notice this, he says, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter. The Psalter is the book of song, and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So this morning, I want us to ask this question. How can we know God? How can we know about God? And the, the psalm answers this question. It tells us that we know God by his general revelation of his glory through nature. In other words, God speaks through the skies. He does. He is constantly speaking. We see this in verses 1 through 6. 2, we know God by His special revelation of His grace through Scripture. In other words, God speaks in the Scripture. Charles Spurgeon said, 
He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work and feels concerning them, my father wrote them both. So friends, I pray that you are ready to encounter how God speaks to his people. I know that some of you, and maybe most of you, if not all of you, are saying, God, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. I need you to speak to my heart. And he is speaking. He is speaking. He's speaking through nature. He's speaking through the word. Are you listening? So before we dive into scripture, join me as I pray for you and pray for myself. Father in heaven, you are a good God, a merciful God, a kind God. You chose or you choose to speak to your people. The cosmos is declaring the glory of God. And scripture is constantly pointing to who this God is. We see in our culture that so many people are deaf, not able to hear spiritually. In the church, we find people doing the same thing. They would rather programs and rather what the culture is saying and rather to to satisfy their longings rather than treasuring God in his words. So God, if we are really desiring for you to speak, we need to listen. Teach us to listen. Allow us to see what you're saying through nature and what you're saying specifically in your word. Let's not deviate from your word. But let us treasure your word. Help us, O Lord, because this world wants to pull us from you. But help us to stay steadfast in your word. Teach us what we do not know. Make us what we are not. And give us what we do not have. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. So the first point here is we know God by his general revelation of his glory through nature. God speaks in the skies. Notice the scope of general revelation is vast. It is vast, right? It extends in the skies and even in every creature under the sky. Come in closer and get this. It doesn't matter whether you look up through a telescope or you look down through a microscope you are always confronted with the nature with nature glorifying God always David here implies that all of nature is an object lesson of the glory of God he helps us here by telling us that nature is a preacher it's a better preacher than us Nature is preaching all the time. Nature is always making much of the glory of God. Nature is far-reaching, which means that nature is preaching in all languages. It is always communicating. For example, notice the words that David used here. He uses the word declaring. Nature is declaring. Nature is proclaiming. He uses speech and words and voices, all of which, which to the fact, it points to the fact that nature is communicating the glory of God. But notice in verse 2, he mentions in verse 2 that nature pours out speech. But then in verse 3, he says that there are no words. It seems as if he is contradicting himself. How can nature preach all the time, but then with no words? This is a paradox for us. It it seems as if it's contradicting itself. A statement, it seems as if it's contradicting itself, but it's not. There's some great truth here. Nature is preaching, but it's nonverbal. So do not go outside after the sermon and say, well, nature, speak to me, (laughs) right? Your neighbors are going to call the cops on you. Don't do that. But what you can do is look at nature and see how it's communicating the glory of God as you go duck hunting and you see the ducks and you early in the morning you see the sunrise and you see all the creatures around you. Then you say to yourself, there must be something great that created all of this. I love to play golf. And one of my favorite places to play golf is Atchafalaya in Morgan City. 
and you see nature comes alive. When we walk, we see alligators on the fairway. We see snakes all over the place. One time I saw a black bear and its cub. It's beautiful, it's absolutely beautiful. And those of you who like to hunt deer, right? You sit in a deer stand early in the morning and you see nature comes alive. What nature is doing is constantly pointing to the glory of God. Nature is telling you that there is someone great who created all of this. It wasn't by accident. Nature is communicating the glory of God. There are three things that nature is doing here. Nature preaches at all times. This is what the psalmist tells us in verse 2. The psalmist mentions day and night. That's a 24-hour cycle. Day and night. The Hebrew phrase pours out, gives us an image of a gushing spring that bountifully pours out sweet, refreshing waters of revelation. Constantly, nature is revealing the power of God, that He exists. Your pets, when you see them, your dogs, how smart they are. And you say, wow, this is a beautiful dog, a beautiful cat, a beautiful bird. It's because God is beautiful. We've made all of this. It's preaching all times, at all times. Don't miss this. The petal of a flower, the blade of a grass, a snowflake, the intricacies of an atom, all point to the glory of God. They do. What else is nature doing here according to the psalmist? Nature preaches in all languages. Notice for yourself in verse 4. See in your own Bibles, verse 4. Their voices go out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Their voices go out into all the earth. There is no barrier, no communication barrier for nature. There is for us. Like Brother Jim went to Japan. They speak Japanese. I don't know if Brother Jim can speak Japanese. Probably not. There's this language barrier. As he went to proclaim the gospel, he had an interpreter. Nature doesn't need an interpreter. <laughs> Nature preaches the same thing to the man in New York as to the woman in the Amazon jungle. Nature is preaching and people are seeing. So we see that nature preaches in all languages. What is nature preaching? What is the primary thing that nature is preaching? That God exists and you must glorify that God. You must. Nature is proclaiming God's existence. But what's going on in our world? What is wrong with humanity? How come we cannot see this? It's because we have suppressed the truth. We are suppressing the truth. And especially us in the westernized culture, we suppress the truth. Instead of looking at nature and saying, who made you? Uh, let's glorify God. People tend to worship nature more than worshiping the person who created nature. You see the problem? This is one of the ways we suppress the truth. And in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, the Apostle Paul warns us about suppressing the truth. He mentions this in Romans 1, 19 through 21. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. We in America, we are without excuse. The woman in the Amazon jungle, she is without excuse. Why? Because nature is preaching the glory of God. They are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
So nature preaches in all languages. Three, nature is far-reaching. It is far-reaching. I love what he does here. The psalmist transitions from talking about nature and how it's basically how we understand it preaches all the time. It preaches in all languages. And here he gives us an example of a tent. Notice, and he calls the sun as an object lesson. Notice in your own Bibles in verse 5, he says this in verse 4, their voices go out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. So, so now the sun is an object lesson. And then he says this, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So he calls the sun as an object lesson and he tells us the sun goes and retreats into its tent. In other words, what the psalmist wants you to understand is that there is sunrise and sunset. But every time, whether the sun rises or the sun sets, Nature is constantly glorifying God. The sun rise, we have the sun. We, 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 we have creatures that come out making much of God. The sun sets into the tent. The moon comes out. The, the stars comes out. The cosmos become alive to us. Nature is constantly preaching. But then he transitions from that and he tells us that nature is like a vigorous young man. And he gives us two examples. The first example we fully understand. For those of you, when you got married to your wife, you could not wait but to be with your wife. You could not wait for the preacher to shut up or be quiet so, so you can kiss your bride and be with your bride. So we get this, young man. <laughs> you get this. He says it's like a young man who cannot wait to be with his bride. There is this great passion and energy. And then he says it's like a young man who cannot wait to run the race or to be this champion. We also understand this. One of my favorite races in the Olympics is the 100-meter dash. It's amazing to watch how guys can run so fast and women can run so fast. But one of the coolest things is to watch them on the blocks. A lot of times there are false starts. You mark, set, pow. A lot of false starts because they are vigorous. They are excited to start. They are nervous. They want to finish the race. In other words, what the psalmist is doing here, he tells us that nature is like this Young man, vigorously, who wants to be with his bride. Nature is like this champion. And what is nature doing? Constantly wanting to make much of God. It is always desiring to proclaim the glories of God. So friends, we too must see this. We too must make much of the glory of God. Will you allow just nature to make much of God? When you have voices, you can speak, you can make much of him. Will you allow the stones to cry out in your situation? No. Cry out even more than the stones, man. General revelation is amazing, but God has called you to be his children, and we too must make much of him. I love this here because here he's transitioning to nature to now he's talking about specific or special revelation. And don't miss this. Don't miss this because what he's doing here is very important. Verse 6 is used as this transitional point to help us understand even more of verses 7 through 14. And I want you to get this with this statement. There can be no life on this planet without the sun. We would agree with that. It dominates the daytime sky. In the same way, there can be no spiritual life without the revealed word of God. It dominates the human life. And like the sun, Scripture is penetrating 
warming, life-giving, while also searching, testing, and purifying. This is the beauty of Scripture here. General revelation only tells us that God exists and we must worship this God. But what is superior to that of general revelation is specific revelation. Specific revelation now tells us who this God is. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It is Yahweh. This covenant-keeping God. This is why we cannot just leave it up to general revelation to proclaim what salvation is. No, general revelation will only reveal that God exists. Now, as Christians, we say to people, let me tell you who this God is. Listen, a person cannot be saved just through general revelation. It is through the message of special revelation of God, God's word, that a person understands the gospel, knows and places his faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must preach the gospel. Titus chapter 1 verses 2 to 3 says, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began And at the proper time, manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. And in Matthew 24, 35, listen to the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Heaven and earth will pass away. That's general revelation. But listen. But my word will never pass away that specific revelation. Which one is superior? It is specific revelation. So let's look at specific revelation. I'm excited to jump into this with you. He's been sharing about the glories of God through nature. Now he's getting more specific. And here he wants us to see this. So the second point is this. We know God by his special revelation of his grace through scripture. God speaks in the scripture. It's it's as if the psalmist wrote two different psalms, right? It looks as if that's what he did. He talks about general revelation. Now he's talking about specific revelation. Seems like two Psalms were put together, but that's not what he's doing. He wrote this as one volume together. But notice what he does. In, in, in the first Psalm, in verses one through six, right? Verses one through six, he uses the word L to describe God. L is a generic word for God. Generic word for God, name for God, right? So, so you, you will find even the pagans, they will call the God El. So it's a generic term for God. But then he transitions in verses 7 through 14, and he doesn't use the word El, but he uses the most personal covenantal word, name for God, which is Yahweh. So verses 7 through 14, it's Yahweh. So here he's telling us who this God is. Yahweh is appropriate for special and specific revelation in God's word, right? Yahweh is the covenantal name for God. It is a name that God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. I am who I am. And seven times here he mentions the word Yahweh. But before we dive into the text, I want you to see this in verses 7 through 14. I want you to see this. I want to help you understand this. There are six statements, if you're writing, you can write this down. Six statements, six characteristics, six benefits concerning the word of God in this text. What are they? The six statements are the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precept of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the rules of the Lord. Six characteristics or adjectives. What are they? Perfect, sure, right, pure, 
clean and true. The sixth benefit. So, so here it is, God. How does this benefit me? <laughs> I know your word is special, but, but I need to know how it, it benefits me. How can it help me? And this is the beauty of this. This is the application here. And the psalmist helps us. Reviving the soul, the law of the Lord revives your soul. Making wise the simple. Uh, rejoice in the heart. You need to be happy in Christ, to rejoice in Christ. The word of God causes great happiness and joy. Enlightening the eyes, enduring forever and righteous all together. The statements here tells us this, friends. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Coming closer and don't miss this. The statements here tells us that God's word is sufficient, which means it is enough. Inerrant, which means it has no mistakes. And it is relevant, which means it is applicable for today. So grab hold of the word of God and make much of God this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Here it is, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Take a look at verse 7. In verse 7, we see the first point here, the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord here means instructions. It has to do with everything that God has revealed or said. God's word is perfect, and God's word revives our soul. That's the law of the Lord. It, it, It is perfect. Everything that he said, he's given us his word. Coming closer, and don't miss this, we are able to... We are able to maintain a dynamic, powerful, vibrant life in God when we have a steady diet of the Word of God. We are. Friends, I absolutely love this. It is medically proven that all parts of the bodies, of the body, the muscles, the brain, the heart, the liver, need energy to work. The energy comes from the food we eat, right? And the food is digested and carbohydrates turn into glucose, which absorb in our bloodstream. And once it gets to our bloodstream, the glucose itself can be used immediately for energy or be stored up later. Ha, huh. physically, this is, this is medically proven. But what about the word of God? It does the same thing. When we absorb the word of God, When we digest the word of God, it gives our spiritual body energy. And it's even stored up to be used later. This is what David said in Psalm 119, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I will not sin against you. This is the power of the word of God. So the word of God gets into our spiritual bloodstream And it energizes us. Listen, when you prick a spiritual person, what do you find? When you prick a devoted person, a one who's devoted to the Lord, what do you find? They will bleed the Bible. (laughs) They found themselves mastering the word of God and therefore the word of God masters them. They are people of the word, devoted to the word, memorize the word. They constantly want to hear the word, so they come and listen to preaching. They study the word. They meditate upon the word. These are the marks of a spiritual person. So what's the benefit of the perfect law of God? It revives our soul. I love watching survival shows, right? Like there's one on Netflix right now, which is called Alone, where people stay in this wilderness by themselves for 60, 80, 100 days. 
and they have to fend for themselves. And it's amazing to see when some of them are fasting for a long time, haven't eaten for a long time, and they kill an animal or uh, uh, whether it's a fish they found or whatever food they get, immediately you can tell they're revived. Energy is back. They, they can think clearly. They can move faster. And friends, this is the same thing that the Lord does for us with his word. That when we spend time digesting his word, we find that our souls are revived. But what else does he mention here? He says the testimonies of the Lord. The testimonies is derived from the root meaning to bear witness. And it testifies of a divine author. So in other words, God is saying, I believe this is my word. This is my word. I have testified that this is my word. And we have the lost world saying to us that God's word is not God's word. Man wrote the word. Don't listen to it. Don't follow it. But come in closer and don't miss this. It's called the testimonies of God because God is testifying and has witnessed that this is his word. So here we have his word. Wisdom is not guaranteed with age, right? But it is guaranteed through the application of God's word. I have met men and women who are in their 60s, 80s, and even 90s, and there is a sense of spiritual immaturity with them because they are not digesting the word of God. But I have met young men, 14, 16, 20. There is spiritual maturity because they are constantly in the word of God. Wisdom is not guaranteed with age, but it is through the word of God, through applying the word of God, through digesting the word of God, through living out the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith in Christ Jesus. Who is Paul talking about? Timothy, a young man. The scripture is able to make you wise. You want to be wise. Devote your life to scripture, to learning scripture, to applying scripture. And here we have the third and fourth statements here. Precepts and commandments of the Lord. Both indicating the precision and authority in which God addresses us. Do you see it? The precepts of the Lord are right. The word right basically means the standard of righteousness. It is the standard. Come in closer and don't miss this. When I bought my first house, one of the things that I realized very quickly is I had to do a lot of the work. It was a foreclosed home. I'm not a handyman, but I had to learn how to do a lot of stuff. Plumbing, electrical stuff, and I had help, lots of help. And one of the things that I really enjoyed doing was laying down tiles. So the first thing you do is you find the measurement of the room, and there's a plumb line, and then you begin to lay your tiles. One carpenter said this to me, Kevin, you must be very, very, very careful. If you deviate one inch from the plumb line, when you begin, when you finish, you will find yourself a foot away. So it's imperative that you do not deviate from that line. And I thought to myself, I'm a, I'm a preacher, right? So, so I'm thinking, illustration, right? And here's the illustration, the word of God. If we find ourselves deviating an inch from the word of God, five years, six years, seven years down the road, you will find yourself so far from God. And it's so true. Here he's telling us that the word of God, the precepts of God, they are right. Do not deviate from the word of God. And friends, I want to share this with you, and you need to understand this. The world is constantly fighting against you and the Word. There are three things that I notice that the world is constantly trying to change our minds as Christians. One is the existence of God. They're constantly trying to fight and tell you that God does not exist. So your children in school right now, they're constantly being brainwashed by telling them that God does not exist. How do you know it's the only God that you serve? There are other gods that we can serve. 
In college, they're constantly telling students that. The second is family. The world is constantly going against family today. They do not like to see a father and a mother raising their children. They would rather see single moms and single dads raising their children. As a matter of fact, they would rather raise your children for you so you can brainwash them. And three, the Word of God. They're constantly telling you that it's not God's Word. Men wrote it. Men wrote it. Don't listen to it. There are other opinions out there. Your preacher is just telling you false stuff. Men wrote it, but no. We know that this is God's word. We need to trust a great principle, and it's the word of God. Listen to you. Listen, listen, coming closer. Who are you going to trust? Are you, are you saying, well, I just trust myself? But listen, I don't even trust myself. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. I, I, I don't trust myself. I, I don't trust my thoughts. Look, I've been, I've been working on a diet for about a year, and I, you, you think I'm actually doing well? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I see food before me. I want to eat it, although I'm saying I'm strong, right? I'm strong. I don't trust myself. But thank God, thank God that he has something greater that I can trust. The world tells you don't trust the word of God, but trust yourself, trust your heart. You know what the Bible says about your heart? It is sinful. We need something greater than ourselves. And it's the word of God. The word of God. Come in closer and don't miss this. I want you to get this. Please get this, get this, get this. The standards of our lives are not measured by our culture, but by the Holy Word of God. When we walk uprightly, we find great satisfaction in God. The world says that you Christians are not happy people, but they are wrong. They're wrong. When I follow the things of God, I find great joy. I love what John Piper mentions here. The word of God is the best source of deepest and lasting joy. He is absolutely right. It is pure, enlightening the eyes. What a beautiful concept here. I was raised in St. Lucia and oftentimes when we had hurricanes and storms passing through, we would stay with our power for a long time. One of the coolest things is like in the, in the middle of the, the night when it's really, really dark, you know, as a hurricane would pass through and there's a cell phone or a flashlight, you turn that on and immediately it illuminates the room. Darkness cannot comprehend the light and it cannot stay within the light. So the light illuminates. In other words, here he says that the word of God illuminates everything in your life so you can see clearly. We live in a very dark world and you need the word of God as a flashlight to navigate through this world. Don't, don't miss this. We, we have a lot of lazy Christians in America. Lazy, lazy. They don't read the word. They, they come to church when a pastor preaches, amen, pastor, but they have no clue what the pastor is saying. So lazy. That's why you find so many of them are falling away from the church. If a new church opens, they go to it. Why? Because they're not in church to, to, to see the word, to listen to the word, to make much of God. They're in church to be entertained. But if we can get Christians to love the word, it will help them. It will help them as they listen to people on TV and preachers who are proclaiming stuff that's false. They will say, you know what? That's wrong. Why do you know it's wrong? Because of the word of God. You know, FBI agents, one of the things that they do as they're studying counterfeit money, they never study the counterfeit money themselves. They don't spend time focusing on the counterfeit money. They spend all their time studying the real money so that whenever counterfeit money comes, all they do is put it up to the light and say, ah, that's false. Why? Because they know the truth. We as Christians... Let's find ourselves knowing the truth, studying the truth. So friends, come in closer. Get this, come in closer. In the same way, we grip tightly a flashlight on the darkest of nights 
We must have a firm grip on the Word of God in this dark world. Do you get it? Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The fifth statement he made is, he says here is, the fear of the Lord, which emphasizes the human response fostered by his word. This is a beautiful concept. He says the fear of the Lord is pure or clean, as the ESV says. When, when, when you think about fear altogether, the unhealthy fear, we think about something that causes us to be very fearful. We turn away from it. It's not good for us. But here, this is a healthy fear. Don't miss that's coming closer. This is a healthy fear of God. This is a reverence for God. And as we, as we have this fear in our hearts for God, what does it do? It, it causes us to move closer and closer to Him and to pursue what is pure and what is clean. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as the book of Proverbs says. And this is another problem that I find we have in our culture, a lack of fear in God. Watch the Grammys and the Oscars. The man upstairs, ah, we're tight. That's my partner up there. <laughs> really, this is the sovereign God. He's not just a man upstairs. He's holy and transcendent and majestic. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. In so many of our churches, we find ourselves lacking the fear of God. That we are before a holy God. And here he says, the fear of God is pure and clean. And then he says... The rules of the Lord, which represents the judicial decision that constitute legal and moral precedence. It is the divine standard given to man. God's rules are righteous altogether. How righteous is it? How righteous is it? Verse 11 tells us. The law of God warns the servant of God against sin, and it provides for him a great reward. That's how righteous the word of God is. Don't miss this. But then he tells us how precious the word of God is too, right? After the statements, the psalmist then tells us that God's word is precious. In verse 10 he says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is a great reward. Do you see how precious his word is? That we must treasure God's word more than the treasures in this world? I don't know about you, but I love chocolate. <laughs> Dude, it's sweet, it's good, so good, but God's word is better. It is sweeter, more satisfying. Friends, where are you with the word of God? Do you just have your Bibles in your closets next to your bed stand? You never pick it up and read it? Your phone, your apps, you have the Bible on it. Do you ever get to read it? The only time you open up your Bibles is when you come to church. Are you spending time reading the Word of God? Here are all the great benefits here. It's for us to know our God and to make much of Him. We often choose the treasures of this world over the treasure of the Word of God. And like a child, this is what we do. We choose a penny over the dime because it is bigger. We choose the treasures of this world because we think it's bigger than the Word of God. We think it's better than the Word of God. But it's not. It's not. Will you commit? Will you commit to reading His Word, studying His Word, applying His Word? Will you commit to having a firm grip on the Word of God? Will you commit to listening to His Word? hearing his word? Will you, will you commit to studying his word? Will you, will you commit to memorizing his word? Will you commit to meditating upon his word? 
Will you commit to having a firm grip on the Word of God? And as you find yourself trying to master the Word of God, you will find that the Word of God will master you. This is the beauty of the Word of God here, friends. Listen, coming closer. God's Word is eternally greater and more valuable than any treasures on this earth. So how do we rewire our affections? And I want to help you here. It's hard. Like, Kevin, you're just saying, just read the Word of God. Just do it. No, no, it's, it's, it's hard, Kevin. I have, I have a lot of stuff in my life. I have no desire for the things of God. I, I believe that I am a Christian. I know that I am a Christian. I love the Lord. But, but just go into the Word. It doesn't excite me. And, and it's hard. How, how do I rewire my affections for the Word of God? And, and the psalmist helps us here. Don't miss what he does here. The psalmist helps us see this one. He says that we can cultivate a great desire for God's word by admitting our sins. Do you see immediately after making much of the word of God, he goes into explaining his sins? You know the one thing, the main thing, the number one thing that keeps you from the word is your sins? Do you know that? This is what John Bunyan mentioned. Either this book, the Bible, will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. He is absolutely true. When I find myself enjoying my sin, I, I do not like the Bible. I do not want to read the Bible. When I confess and I repent and I turn from it, there is a great delight for the Bible great desire for the Bible. And this is exactly what he does here. Notice with me very carefully as, we, as I give you this last statement before we close. In this text, he mentions to us in verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Again, the psalmist wants you to observe he loves the word of God, but what's keeping him from the word of God? It's his sin. He tells us, that we need to admit our sins. He shows us that we need to ask for forgiveness of our sins and confess and repent. Then he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Even sins I have not yet committed. God, please help me, help me, God. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So first, he admits his sin, and he asks God to forgive him. And friends, this is what we do as Christians. Notice the number one thing that keeps you from the word of God is your sin. There are multiple other things, but the number one thing, sins. So we ask God, God, help me. Help me overcome this sin. God, you are beautiful. So, so this psalmist is a reflection. He looks in the mirror, and he sees his sin. But he also sees something greater than his sin. He sees a reflection of the mercy and grace and forgiveness of God. And that's how he ends. He ends by saying that God is his redeemer. Notice this. I love this. In verse 14, he says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So second, we cultivate a great desire for God's word by understanding that God is our redeemer. Yes, sin, it's many, it's many, it's many. It's overwhelming. But listen, 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 listen. God has defeated sin for you. He is our redeemer. So we turn to God. We ask God to heal us. We ask God to cleanse us. We ask God to give us a greater passion for his word. My rock and my redeemer. The New Testament states that Christ is our redeemer. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. We know who this redeemer is. Unlike this psalmist, who didn't fully understand who this great redeemer is, we do on this side of heaven. 
On this side of heaven, on this side of the covenant, we get to understand that Jesus Christ has fulfilled everything for us. That Jesus Christ has defeated sin. So when we look in the mirror, we see our sins. But behind that, we see the grace of God covering our sins. We see the imputed righteousness of Jesus being placed upon us. We see that he has become our propitiation. We see that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and he has called us his elect. And for that, we rejoice. We have greater reason to make much of our Redeemer, to make much of the word of God than David in this psalm. Did you get what I just said? We have greater reason to make much of Jesus. Will you make much of Jesus this morning? Will you read his word? Will you study more about him, make much of him? Will you look at nature and say, wow, nature is proclaiming the glories of God. So when you play golf with your lost friends and you see an alligator and you're like, wow, this is amazing. And they look at you and say, well, Doug, have you never seen an alligator before? Yes, I have. But God has made this alligator for his glory. When you go hunting and you see nature and you point to the glory of God, will you point them to Jesus? Will you make much of Jesus? Join me as we pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the elders the pastors, the leaders, the deacons. I thank you for a Bible-believing church. I just pray, Father, that they will continue to make much of your name, continue to exalt you, Father. Be with them. Lead them and guide them. I pray that you use them mightily, Father, to proclaim the glories of God in Gonzales. Do not allow nature to outshine them. Because, God, they have specific revelation in their possession. Allow them to reclaim the glories of God. We love you and we worship you. Amen. Amen.